I'm Josh Escobedo with Weintraub Tobin. And I'm Scott Hervey with Weintraub Tobin. Copyrights have a finite lifespan. And after the copyright term expires, the work falls into the public domain. That's not the case with trademarks, which can last indefinitely. Anne of Green Gables was a children's book originally published in 1908. This means that the work is now in the public domain. However, Anne of Green Gables Licensing Authority owns various trademarks for Anne of Green Gables, including Anne of Green Gables the Musical. What happens when the right to create a musical interpretation of the public domain work and use Anne of Green Gables in the title runs headlong into the trademarks owned by the licensing authority? Are the producers who created a new musical interpretation of Anne of Green Gables actually prohibited from using the name of the work in the title of the musical? We're going to talk about this on this next installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. And with an E, LLC is a New York musical theater production company that has developed the musical Anne of Green Gables, a new musical based on the public domain novel Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. The musical features original dialogue or book as it's called in the theater and new music. Anne of Green Gables Licensing Authority is a Canadian corporation jointly owned by the province of Prince Edward Island, the location where the original novel took place, and the heirs of the book's author. Apparently, this entity claims to be the sole licensing agent for the trademark Anne of Green Gables in the United States and abroad, and claims to have licensed the use of Anne of Green Gables trademark in connection with a musical production titled Anne of Green Gables, the musical which has been continuously produced since 1965. Apparently, Anne of Green Gables Licensing Authority has been threatening Anne with an E with a potential trademark infringement claim ever since Anne with an E mounted its first production of its musical in 2018. And apparently, in December 2022, the Licensing Authority escalated the situation by also sending a draft copy of a complaint. Anne with an E filed the complaint for declaratory relief with the Southern District of New York in February of this year. I can understand Anne of Green Gables Licensing Authority obtaining a trademark registration for ancillary merch, but how did they get a trademark registration for the musical that would be the title of a single artistic work, which is not protectable as a trademark? That's correct, Josh. The title of a single artistic work is not protectable as a trademark. And the trademark examiner assigned to the trademark application filed by the licensing authority refused to register the mark on that basis many, many times. The applicant, the licensing authority, tried to argue that the mark was used in association with a number of different productions, all of which were based upon the same kind of general theme within the public domain novel, but all of which are different. The examiner cited to the TTAB decision of Henry Postum, uh, which provides that where the mark identifies the title of a live theatrical production, such a theatrical production is a single creative work, even if the individual performances have some variation. Eventually, the applicant pointed to various different productions produced by different production companies, each with a different book and different lyrics. And the applicant argued that this makes uh, the productions more like a series than a single work. And apparently the trademark examiner accepted this argument because the mark was registered. That's right. 
And I must say, Josh, I see a problem with this. The licensing authority didn't claim that the other productions using the title Anne of Green Gables, the musical, made use of the title under their authority or license, thus failing to meet the use and commerce requirement that it be the applicant who uses the mark. And if the registration is revoked, then the basis of the trademark suit goes away. That's right, Josh. If the licensing authority's trademark is revoked, the basis of their trademark suit does go away. But still, I think this goes back to one of the reasons why trademark rights are not recognized in a single work of authorship. When a work falls into the public domain, others should have the right to, to reproduce the literary work or create derivative versions of that literary work without uh, fear of appraisal. However, if the title to the work enjoyed trademark protection, this would compromise the policy of public domain under copyright law because a book with a trademark title could only be published under a different name or a derivative work could only be published under a different name or a name that is not confusingly similar to the original book title. And I can see that applying the Rogers test might not provide immediate relief. While the first prong, artistic relevance, is satisfied, the second prong, whether the use explicitly misleads as to source or content of the work, might not be so easy to overcome, especially in the Second Circuit, where they apply the Polaroid factors to determine the outcome of this prong. That's right. The question for that factor would be whether the likelihood of confusion here was particularly compelling to outweigh the First Amendment interest recognized in Rogers. And as we saw in the Meadowbergen case, this probably isn't a question that can be resolved on a motion to dismiss. Now, courts will protect the titles of works that have acquired secondary meaning through common law claims of passing off or misappropriation, which are asserted through a theory of unfair competition. And while the original book may have acquired secondary meaning, despite the long-running nature of the original musical, it's hard to say whether it, the original musical, acquired secondary meaning in the title. I agree with you there, Josh. Um, while the it's, it's much more likely that the original public domain novel may have acquired or would have acquired secondary meaning uh, in its title. I'm not so sure, even though it's been running for a really long time, that the musical, original musical, would have acquired secondary meaning. But here's another kind of interesting look at this. So you know, I'm a music producer, and, or I'm a musical producer, and I want to produce a musical based on the William Shakespeare play Macbeth. What if somebody else had a uh, Macbeth musical and they trademarked the name? Does that mean that I can't use Macbeth the musical or I can't use Macbeth the new musical? How am I going to convey to the theatergoers that this is a musical about Macbeth? Maybe there should be a different rule regarding the ability of... Um, the ability of, of, of anyone to trademark, to get a trademark on the title of works that are in the public domain, especially as it relates to entertainment services. I mean, we're supposed to be able to weed that out with, um, with the title of a single work refusal, but uh, you know, we can see that there are problems there. Um, what do you think about that? I think it's an interesting problem. Um, I mean, it, it's certainly something that needs to be addressed, and perhaps it's something that will be addressed uh, through precedential case law as we move forward. 
I, I certainly see the problem that you're pointing out, Scott. And I don't know, I mean, at least as we see here, I don't know that the current fix is sufficient. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. Yeah. The only other thing that I can think of is a merely descriptiveness refusal. That the that the trademark is merely descriptive in that it describes the nature of the work that is a musical that is based on the public domain work of art, whatever it may be, whether it's Macbeth or Anne of Green Gables. And that's kind of a tortured interpretation of the, you know, merely descriptiveness <laughs> refusal in the Trademark Act. But um, I don't know, that, that's one way of making it work. Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this case. It's in the early stages of litigation. It'll be really interesting to see what the case, what this case does uh, here. And also if the Trademark Office um, does anything about this. Thanks for sharing, Scott. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for tuning into this installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. Leave a positive review and check out our additional content at our website, theiplawblog.com.